0: You're going to love this. Just love it.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh, of
0: course I do. I got
1: the feeling that something right. It's not. I'm so scared. I fall off my chair
0: No fear, no and fear Now
1: one i get on the, the left Clowns me Jokers to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep You yes, sound stuck in the middle Yes with I am
0: Stuck and I'm in the middle with you And happy to be here right here, here on Pacifica Radio's face. KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles 98.7 FM in the Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app. On your smart devices everywhere, on Progressive Voices Channel, on TuneIn, and on Netroots Radio, and on Liberal Justice Radio, you can run, but you can't hide. This is your Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com, says me. We got a very, very big show uh, ahead of us, we will be uh, we will be joined in a bit by Brian Murphy, a former New Jersey reporter and former employee of David Wildstein, who is now at the center of the still expanding Chris Christie Bridgegate scandal. Yes, we will follow the money in the billion dollar development aspect of the case, which uh, which Brian Murphy and MSNBC's Steve Kornacki introduced over the weekend. And which could very well lie at the heart of the, as I say, still expanding Bridgegate scandal. We will get to that in a bit. Uh, also, by the way, you know, don't hate us. Don't hate us out here in Los Angeles. Those of you who are listening around the country and around the world, you um, don't hate me for saying this, but it has been over 80 degrees uh, for the past several days and for the, uh, for the rest of the week, we are told. Actually, 90 degrees out here in Burbank. Uh, and wildfires are popping up all across the state here in California following on our driest year ever, last year. Uh, at the same time, by the way, Australia is absolutely melting. But, you know, global cooling As we were told last week, because there was a couple of very, very cold days across the country, if those very, very cold days across the country last week led the uh, global warming deniers out there to shout global cooling, what does 90-degree temperatures in January in California uh, for a week... And Australia melting with over 100 degree weather. What does that mean? Oh, nothing. We'll just ignore that, right? Yeah, of course. Anyway, we'll be talking about that and the toxic freedom leak in in West Virginia. When the uh, 4-methylcyclohexane methanol, yes, I said it right, uh, spilled into the Elk River, knocking out uh, drinking water for hundreds of thousands of West Virginians, that poison, that toxic is now headed towards Cincinnati. We will be joined by Bob Kincaid, our good friend, live from West Virginia to get the latest on that growing mess. And, of course, Desi Doyen with the Green News Report. Uh, Also, uh, if I have time for it on this huge show, uh, control of the Virginia State Senate, that's the entire Senate for the entire state of Virginia, uh, now hangs on nine, nine, count them nine, count them if you can, nine unverifiable touchscreen votes from a special election last week in Virginia. Uh, Democrats or Republicans could come out ahead based on nine votes that are 100 percent unverifiable in an incredibly close race out there. Hopefully we'll get to that Uh, very quickly before we get to our top story today. Some good news, uh, constitutional conservatism. And equal protection for all comes sweeping down the plains. Yes, move over, Utah. Now, Oklahoma's ban on marriage equality has been found unconstitutional by a federal judge in a late day ruling. Yesterday, I'm delighted about that, but I wanted to point it out because uh, sometimes it's nice to start out with good news for a change. Uh, and also that ruling, I should say, has been stayed pending appeal. So all you gay people in Oklahoma, don't go running into the county clerk's office to get married like they got to out there in Utah. Uh, you got to wait uh, for the appeal. Uh, all right. But we start tonight We start tonight, believe it or not, in 2008. Actually, we start before 2008, way before that, uh, when both the Republicans and the Democrats decided to use primaries and caucuses to help avoid uh, messy and embarrassing floor fights at late summer political conventions that had happened for so many years uh, that often succeeded only in splitting the base. So what did the parties do? They front-loaded. The primary system. Well, first they created these primary systems and then now every state wants a piece of it. Every state wants to be earlier. Every state wants to uh, get the most attention from the national media. Uh, So these uh, primaries started coming earlier and earlier each year. All of that, in the meantime, was, was meant to avoid dividing the base. It was meant to figure out who the candidate would be, the presidential nominee would be for each party as early as possible, So you could then turn all your resources to uh, pulling the base together and uh, and to the general campaign. And largely that worked, at least... It did work uh, for many years until 2008. And you may recall the Democratic knockdown dragout fight between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama that year. It was, frankly, in my opinion, and well, probably a lot of folks, at least in the national media, one of the greatest primary races ever. It went on and on and on. It did not get decided right off the bat, as uh, party officials might have hoped. Um, and it did leave the base of the party exceedingly divided as passions ran very, very high for a long time as that fight went on. And as some of us may remember from this uh, woman, G, do you have this uh, this audio here? Uh, this woman is sort of exemplifies the anger that uh, exploded within the Democratic Party back in 2008. This was June 2008.
1: <laughs> an older American woman. Where are you from? New York City, Hillary State, the best nominee that's possible, and the Democrats are throwing the election away. For what? An inadequate black male who would not have been running had it not been a white woman that was running for president. And I'm not going to shut my mouth anymore. I was a second-class citizen before. Now I'm nothing. Why? Because they want to do what they want to do. And they think we won't turn and vote for McCain. Well, I got news for all of you. McCain will be the next president of the United States.
0: Yeah, well that didn't really work out. And McCain didn't become the next president of the United States. Uh, And that woman, who was kind of racist, doesn't actually exemplify uh, everybody uh, in that fight. But passions were running very high uh, between Democrats. And it took a while before they came back and and rallied around Barack Obama, who then, of course, uh, destroyed uh, John McCain. It was a great primary. I thought we'd never see one like it. In fact, we really haven't. It was substantive. It went on for a while. It was incredibly close. I thought it would never be matched until the 2012 Republican primary, uh, which was extraordinary in its own right. Not because you had uh, two really good candidates, but because you had a whole bunch of really bad candidates. Uh, But they kept these crazy people, kept showing up, becoming the front runner. Uh, and then being destroyed either by destroying themselves or because the national media would actually take a look at their record and find out what they were about remember michelle bachman she was the front runner back in 2012 when she won the the uh, the ohio straw poll she became the front runner until ethics questions about her campaign, staffers started quitting en masse, she made a comment about mental retardation from HPV vaccine or something ridiculous like that. Then it was Herman Cain. He became the front runner until the sexual harassment uh, charges began to come out. Then it was Newt Gingrich. Then it was Santorum. Then it was Romney, who didn't pay his taxes, hiding uh, money in the Caymans, the 47% video. Every time someone came out during the 2012 Republican primary, they would be knocked down. Now, were they knocked down because this was the liberal media just trying to destroy these people? Well, no. In most cases, they were actually destroying themselves. All of which brings us now to the 2016 Republican primary and what happened yesterday afternoon in Trenton, New Jersey.
2: Friends and fellow New Jerseyans. Now, the last week has certainly tested this administration. Mistakes were clearly made. And as a result, we let down the people we're entrusted to serve. I know our citizens deserve better. Much better. Now, I'm the governor, and I'm ultimately responsible for all that happens on my watch, both good and bad. Now, without a doubt, we will cooperate with all appropriate inquiries to ensure that this breach of trust does not happen again. But I also want to assure the people of New Jersey today that what has occurred does not define us or our state. This administration and this legislature will not allow the work that needs to be done to improve the people's lives in New Jersey to be delayed for any reason.
0: So... Mistakes were clearly made, rather Nixonian of uh, Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey, and not a good way to launch a presidential run. Now, this is not to say that any of this, the Bridge uh, Bridgegate, is a fake scandal or one created by the so-called liberal media. This is a very real scandal with apparently very real wrongdoing by all the governor's men, if you will, or at least a whole host of top men and women in the Christie administration. Uh, making it all the more difficult to believe that Governor Chris Christie did not know about what he claims he didn't know. But uh, with all of those emails, all of those texts now coming out, now showing that his top administration officials knew what was going on when they shut down two out of three access lanes to the George uh, George W. Bush, George Washington Bridge, the GWB, we know that they knew about it, we know that they did it, we know that it was for political retribution, but we don't know why. And that's still been one of the mysteries. The uh, the, the initial uh, theory here was that this was done by the Christie administration as retribution against the uh, mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey, Mike Sokolich, because he refused to endorse Chris Christie in his re-election bid, which, by the way, if true, would also be rather Nixonian, to be frank. Uh, you remember that uh, Nixon in 72 was sailing for a landslide when he decided he had to disrupt the Democratic Party, uh, going out to uh, you, know, you know get the Democratic mayor of Fort Lee to endorse you and uh, turning up political retribution against him if he doesn't, uh, when Christie was going to win by a landslide, also seems kind of nuts. Both Christie and Sokolich have said there was not any real hardball, they've claimed, for that endorsement. So, what is this all about? Why did this scandal happen? Why did the Christie administration shut down two out of three access lanes to the George Washington Bridge, and then why did they refuse to talk to the press about it, and then subsequently apparently lie about it, as we have, uh, as we frankly we've seen in a whole bunch of Chris Christie's uh, statements and press conferences now. Uh, There was one theory that came out last week from Rachel Maddow. She said, uh, or she speculated at least, that State Senator Loretta Weinberg, who uh, represents Fort Lee, has been a thorn in Chris Christie's side uh, for years, that perhaps she was the target of this. Um, the uh, the head of the New Jersey State Senate, the Democratic head, has uh, sort of poo-pooed that theory, and Weinberg herself has uh, neither concurred nor denied it. In the meantime, over the weekend... Another uh, explanation has come up, which may make a lot more sense. A billion-dollar development that makes this story, if you thought it was straight out of The Sopranos, it really sounds like The Sopranos, where, as I recall, they had a a waterfront storyline, a political waterfront storyline on The Sopranos. Anyway, this theory was put forward by uh, Steve Kornacki on MSNBC and by Brian Murphy. Both of those guys worked for David Wildstein. He's the guy who was appointed by Chris Christie and who actually uh, got the order from Christie's office to shut down the bridge, writing infamously, uh, got it in the email after he was told uh, by Chris Christie's deputy secretary of state that there was, quote, time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee. Uh, They put forward a theory that all of this has to do with a billion-dollar development that is uh, right near the waterfront, more importantly, right near those access lanes to the George Washington Bridge. Uh, And famously, that land has sat there for 40 years. It was the subject of a bribe, an attempted bribe by the mafia for half a million dollars back in in the 70s. And now a development deal was just about to close. The financing deal was about to close when the traffic was shut down. Down by the governor of New Jersey. Now, both Steve Kornacki and Brian Murphy both worked for David Wildstein at one point at the Politics New Jersey site. Uh, Wildstein, who went on to work for Chris Christie, and now we are joined by Brian Murphy. He is now the assistant professor of U.S. economic and political history at Baruch College. Uh, Prior to that, he was financial and political journalist on the staffs of Money and George magazines and perhaps most notably here, he was the managing editor of PoliticsNJ.com for several years, the political reporting website published at the time by David Wildstein, Chris Christie's old high school chum. As a matter of fact, and uh, the man at the center of of the uh, Bridgegate scandal for the moment, Uh, he was, as I say, Brian was an employee of Wildstein's, but I don't believe he knew that he was working for Wildstein at the time. We'll find out in a moment. Uh, Brian Murphy, sir. Welcome to the broadcast. Thanks very much, Brad. Good to be with you. Really glad you joined us, and uh, really appreciate the work that uh, that you and Steve have done on this so far. Uh, just to be clear, uh, you were a former employee of David Wildstein's. Did you know you were working for David Wildstein, or was he using an alias uh, even to you at that time?
3: That's right. He used uh, he used to go by the name Walter Edge, Wally Edge. Uh, Wally Edge was a governor, former governor of New Jersey. Um, so when I was hired by him, um, I had been uh, approached about doing this, and, and we agreed that it would be best if I didn't know exactly who I was working for so that when <laughs> sources you know, that I was interviewing would ask me, uh, inevitably people asked me if I knew who Wally was, um, because he also had a sort of an editorial column that he would do every day, um, and he would get a lot of confidential tips and, and whatnot. Um, I wanted to be able to honestly say that I didn't know who he was so that people wouldn't feel that I was compromised in some way. So, um, so plausible. I should say that Steve had the same deal, and we had a very, you know, he was a great, um, he was a great editor. Uh, he always had our backs. Um, and I didn't know who he was until he outed himself before he joined the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey.
0: So is it fair to say that plausible deniability was sort of baked in the cake uh, when we're dealing with David Wildstein? Yeah, it was. Okay, That's right. Uh, all right. Now, before I get into one, of, uh, a couple of the details on this billion-dollar development deal that have been nagging at me since you guys brought it out, uh, first, w- in, in your opinion, I realize I'm asking you to speculate a little bit here, but would this story be national uh, if it was not for, uh, for 2016 and for the presidential race? In other words, wouldn't it be like this recent Bob McDonald scandal uh, up in Virginia, which was a a big and important scandal, but it's really largely stayed in Virginia. Would this be going national, as you see it? If not, for uh, Christie's ambition and his uh, position as sort of the front runner for the Republicans in twenty sixteen.
3: I mean, I I'm not. You're asking me to comment on something a little bit beyond the realm of my expertise. since okay. now I'm a, I'm a history professor and I study institutions and and come by it that way. But I guess that that would sound right to me. <laughs> okay. I mean, the, The idea that they're like a traffic jam, and you could kind of, I mean, I'm enjoying following it and and thinking about this, but I do wonder how much, if Christie hadn't, if Christie wasn't a national, uh, didn't have a national profile, um, how much the rest of the country would really care about it. And, I mean, of course, probably people in California care about things like this because everybody cares about traffic. Um, (laughs) Yes, right. It's kind of a... I so, spent a lot of time <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in my life thinking about traffic. Um, <laughs> often when I'm sitting in traffic near the George Washington Bridge.
0: <laughs> yes, um, they've they've touched I, a nerve for I, us. I don't really out know here. how
3: much play that would have um everywhere else.
0: Uh yeah, that's that's kinda what I think. Uh and not to say this is not an important scandal, uh, and a very real one, because I I think it actually uh highlights you know, this is a guy who worked with uh, George W. Bush in the Bush administration, where they played hardball. Where you know, uh, you know, they're willing to out a, a CIA agent apparently if they go up against the administration. And I think that Chris Christie has really gotten sort of a—I uh, I, don't—he's gotten a pass up from the national media until now, it seems to me. But let's move on to what is your sort of expertise here and this theory that you guys raised. Um, did did I I had to do it very very quickly, but but did I set it up essentially correctly that uh, there is this billion dollar development and that this may have come into play somehow uh, as the financing was about to be finalized right before right after I should say they uh, they shut down the two out of three lanes onto the GWB.
3: Well, there are a few things. I, yes, there are a few things going on. One. Is that the story since this has broken has been that this is all about endorsements that the governor, during his reelection campaign was aggressively trying to cast himself as a bipartisan uh, figure right mm-hmm. sort of in and the thinking is this is all in laying groundwork for a national run that the governor is very eager to portray himself as a bipartisan leader and therefore his people were being very aggressive about trying to get uh, local Democratic elected officials to in, publicly endorse him. And that this incident that happened on the George Washington Bridge, where they basically, for, for people who aren't familiar with this, the, the George Washington Bridge, (GWB) is the busiest bridge in the world. It has 24 separate toll lanes um, going east. So mm-hmm. if you're going from New Jersey to New York, Um, you have to pay a toll, right? If you're coming out of New York to New Jersey, you don't, um, which is always a source of... um, People never are happy with this in New Jersey, but it it is the way it is. There are a few lanes that um, come from one approach that comes from a town called Fort Lee. right? It's right up against the edge. And these lanes, there are three toll lanes usually allocated to this one approach, They narrowed it down to one traffic backed up pretty far into town until it didn't really rush hour lasted until noon. Um, Um, The thinking had been that this was all about the fact that the mayor of Fort Lee didn't endorse Governor Christie. Um, We never found that to be a satisfying explanation. First of all, because we know David, Steve and I both worked for David Wildstein. I knew and I'm Friends with another uh, another figure in this, uh, a guy named Bill Baroni, who was the deputy executive director at the Port Authority. Um, both
0: of whom have been fired. We we should say both right. of whom have been let go they're from designed, the Port
3: Authority. Yeah, uh, been fired, and, mm-hmm. and they both are in some uh, a not inconsiderable amount of legal jeopardy mm-hmm. as a result of what they did. Mm-hmm. It struck us as implausible that this was all about endorsements, and. When we heard the governor say that he barely knew uh, this local elected official, this mayor of Fort Lee, right, which is a 35,000 person town, um, when the governor said he didn't know him, never heard of him before, that didn't quite ring true. And so we, you know, just kind of pulled up a satellite map of the area and realized that right adjacent to this on-ramp for the bridge where the lanes were closed is this large giant piece of land mm-hmm. and the mayor has been talking in his interviews which he's not giving anymore but he had been talking in his interviews about this billion dollar development project that was being done and we realized that the billion dollar development project is right next to the lanes um and that it was also happening right this shutdown happened at a sensitive time when the project was getting its financing together um 218 million dollars to begin a groundbreaking um It looks like that might have been delayed because the announcement that that funding came through came only three days after the lanes were reopened, um, the first business day after this this stunt was over. Um, And in in the sort of milieu of New Jersey politics, it struck us as implausible that the governor would not be aware of a mayor who had a project that large going on in his town.
0: Uh, yeah, a I mean, billion dollar and this is something that he wrote about, the mayor wrote about in his documents to the port authority saying, "Hey, what am I supposed to tell people right. about this billion dollar right. development?" So, here's the question that I sort of want to get for, uh, from you, uh, Brian Murphy, uh As I heard your theory, I thought, oh, that sounds plausible. It sounds like an old, you know, follow the money uh, sort of uh, aspect of this scandal. Um, But here's what I don't really understand. How would this have Worked if it was, and and again, I realize I'm asking you to speculate a bit here, but just to give us an example of uh, how could this have worked? Were was this the governor trying to get a taste of this himself, uh, you know, financially payoffs? What were they hoping, or, or what could they have been hoping to achieve by shutting this
3: down? How technically would that have worked, Brian? I think we just don't know yet. I think that's the answer to this for now because the documents that have been released so far. I mean, and people keep saying it's two thousand documents. It's two thousand pages. It's a few hundred documents. Right. Um, A lot of you know when a when a subpoena is issued, um, everybody sort of photocopies everything that they've got, and so you end up having um, everybody's got the the full email chain uh, for each subsequent email. So you could spend you know five pages on a single on a one-line reply to an email over and over again. So Mm -hmm. those pages can add up. But the fact of the matter is those pages don't really tell us what the motive was. And I think that's something that um, we'll have to find out from, possibly from the governor, possibly from the other people who haven't spoken yet or been subpoenaed yet by the New Jersey Legislature's committee. Uh, It's just too soon to tell at this point. But it, it does just seem unlikely that this is all about endorsements. This was a very coordinated effort at the Port Authority by the governor's appointees there. Um, This was in the planning for several weeks, uh, and it was undertaken by people who were, you know, very important figures and very close to both the governor and one of the governor's biggest supporters, um, a guy named a gentleman named David Sampson, Mm -hmm. uh, who was a former Attorney General of the State of New Jersey. He was the chairman. Of the Port Authority, which is the agency that oversees the bridge,
0: who hasn't um, been fired? Who, uh, sa- who has
3: not been fired? <laughs> right. And are, uh, the, the, the New York Times uh, has a story today saying that there there are rumors going around that he is he is going to resign. Uh, fairly soon.
0: Well, he was in on those email uh, chains, and uh, Christie said at his Marathon uh, press conference last uh, last week, the two-hour conference, that, oh, he had full confidence in uh, David Sampson, but he had also said the same thing about uh, Bridget Kelly, the woman who sent the infamous time-for-some-traffic problems-in-Fort Lee email. You know, until those documents came out, Christie had confidence in her as well. Uh, knowing New Jersey politics as you do, Um, One thing has—one other thing, I should say, perhaps, has troubled me here, uh, Brian. Um, Mike Sokolich, at the beginning, it seemed like he did not want to speak to the media at all, didn't want uh, this to get public even himself. Uh, He said, you know, can I have a private meeting do you have concerns right. that there's something else? I shouldn't say something else, but something built into, related to this billion-dollar development, the Hudson Lights Project, as they call it, uh, where the the Democratic mayor could somehow be involved in this, could know a lot more than he's currently telling us publicly.
3: It's possible. I mean, it's always it's always possible. I I suspect that he didn't want to. I think the for now, the more um, I think the more benign explanation is that the mayor didn't want to scare off um, didn't want to scare off investors and didn't want to make a spectacle of this uh, because again, this is when some of the fundraising uh, the roundup was going on among the investors um, who you know, our, our understanding of this is that there weren't people prepared to back out yet but there were certainly people who were nervous um, And I think the mayor just wanted the more likely explanation uh, or the the more innocent explanation, I think, for now, is that uh, the mayor simply didn't want to do anything that was going to make a a big spectacle of this and draw attention to it and uh, scare away investors at a fairly fragile point uh, in the fundraising and uh, the the financing of this uh, project.
0: That is the, certainly the, uh, the, the less nefarious uh, take on it, and, uh, uh, and hopefully it is the case. But uh, I, I, I hope people keep their eyes on that. And, and he can, a mayor can also be—public uh, records requests can be made for a mayor, can they not, as well? Yes, they can. Sure. Because I haven't seen any of those happening yet, so that could be interesting. Last question for you, Brian.
3: Well, I am sure, yeah. sure they're going on.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'd like to see that. Uh, Last question for you before I let you go. Brian, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Um, As far as you know, in New Jersey, New Jersey law, can a governor, I know there's going to be, uh, you know, there are a lot of subpoenas out. There's going to be more coming. There's going to be uh, state investigations, federal criminal investigations surrounding this. But as far as you know, according to New Jersey law, can a sitting governor, be subpoenaed to testify uh to the state uh, assembly or or state senate or does that at that point constitute impeachment as far as you know
3: You know that I do not know okay. Uh I haven't actually looked at that and I'm not sure if I'm not sure <laughs> what the answer to that is that's Okay the, that's the... <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid I'm afraid that's the answer I just have to give you I'm not you know I I didn't know much about um I hadn't in the time that I covered uh New Jersey politics I hadn't seen a committee granted subpoena power uh so it's a special act it's not like a in the case of the state legislature in New Jersey it's not like Congress where there's the automatic inherent statutory authority for the um, for the body to to issue subpoenas they have to create a special mm. They have to basically pass a special act, uh, a special resolution, and then do that. So I'm actually not sure what the answer to that is. And even if they did compel, even if they did issue a subpoena to him to testify, um, I'm not sure what the governor's privileges are um, to to argue against that or or fight it. Um, right. I don't know what the you know the, right now that the. the you know the the dynamic within the state legislature is complicated in that Governor Christie has alliances among many Democrats uh in North and South Jersey. Mm-hmm. It's a small state, but there are there sort of is a dividing line um and right now he's got a lot of friends in the south jersey democratic and South Jersey democratic circles, and that kind of extends into alliances that are in the north part of the state. Uh, the state senate is headed by a man who is very friendly with the governor Mm -hmm. Uh, the current speaker of the state assembly is very friendly with the governor so these investigations are being done by people who are uh, the committee chairman who are running these investigations are sort of doing so under leadership that isn't necessarily supportive of what they're investigating Uh, so it'll be A big question is going to be how much leeway they end up having um, to fully to go as far as they would like to go. Okay. Uh, And right now, I think the thing that's leading that is that the fact that there's a lot of reporting going on on this, there's a lot of interest in this, um, and it's just politically impossible for those. Democratic officials to shut this thing down at this point. Yeah,
0: it is, and uh, you're right. Uh, the politics in New Jersey are not, the, you know, the simple Democratic Republican that we would think. Uh, I think Sweeney is still the president of the Senate out there, isn't he? That's in New right. Jer- yeah, That's uh, right. and and he's a guy uh, who's supposedly, you know, close to Christie. But I remember after I broke the story in 2011 about the secret uh, Coke tapes, the Koch brothers, uh, when Chris Christie flew out there secretly and spoke in Colorado, and then flew back to New Jersey, and nobody knew about it. When I cover that story, I, I. I uh you know, it studied Chris Christie very closely, and one of the things was you had Sweeney, his supposed friend, coming out and saying, I think Chris Christie is deranged, and calling him all kinds of <laughs> other Christ words him. that uh, I can't even repeat on the radio. So that, I guess, is New Jersey politics for you, and there's a lot of this onion yet to be peeled back. But Brian Murphy, assistant professor of U.S. economic and political history at Baruch College, former employee of the now infamous David Wildstein at politicsnewjersey.com, Brian, I really appreciate your uh, your time this afternoon, and uh, we may be talking uh, in, in the weeks and months ahead as this drip, drip, drips out uh, as investigations move forward.
3: Happy to be with you. Thank you very much for having me on. All right. Thank you, Brian.
0: sopranos but not anymore thanks chris christie we're going to take a quick break and come back with much more of the bradcast straight ahead by the way you can tweet me at the brad blog we're back with desi Doyne and the green news and then live from west virginia bob kincaid on the freedom spill in the elk river all of that straight ahead this is the bradcast i'm brad friedman stay tuned
1: The Red Cat Skirball Film Series presents Lynn Sachs' Your Day Is My Night, winner of the best documentary feature at the San Diego Asian Film Festival. Sight and Sound calls it one of the year's best. Shot in the kitchens, bedrooms, wedding halls, and mahjong parlors of New York's Chinatown, it's a provocative, many-layered hybrid documentary exploring the immigrant stories that unfold in a shift-bed apartment shared by seven people ranging in age from 58 to 78 playing themselves in an illuminating collective history through intimate conversations, dreams, autobiographical monologues, songs, and theatrical improvisation. In Mandarin, with English and Spanish subtitles, Your Day is My Night, screens on Monday, January 20th at 8.30 p.m. at Red Cat. A limited number of tickets have been offered to KPFK Film Club members, who are invited to call the front desk at 818-985-2711, dial 0 for operator, for a pair of tickets to this very special screening. And if you aren't already a Film Club member, please consider joining at kpfk.org.
0: For you, right here on the broadcast on KPFK. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. We're going to get to Desi Doyan and the Green News Report and the West Virginia spill in a moment, along with Bob Kincaid, who will join us live uh, from West uh, West Virginia. But very quickly, I'll point you to Bradblog.com uh for the details on this story. But uh, if you listen to the broadcast, you know we covered in great detail. The, uh, the attorney general's race in uh, not West Virginia, but in Virginia, near the end of the year, an incredibly close race, uh, 2.2 million votes cast. It came down to like 165 votes initially after election night. Uh, that was eventually resolved through what they call a recount in Virginia. Uh, which suffices for a recount, where most of the votes are cast on uh, 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems, uh, though a lot of them were paper ballots uh, in in, uh, in that particular race. Now we've got races for the special elections to replace the Democratic senator, uh, two Democratic state senators, actually, who, uh, who won those races. One was uh, the lieutenant governor, one was the attorney general. Uh, the Democrats ended up winning after this so-called rec- recount. And last week, we had a special election in one of the districts, uh, State Senate District uh, 6 out there, where some 20,000 votes were cast. All I think all of them on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. And there is now a 9.9 nine vote Spread. That's right. Nine unverifiable touchscreen votes separate the Democrat from the Republican in that race where there will be a recount. But again, on an unverifiable touchscreen voting system, recounts mean nothing. They take out the the original tape that they used to print out the results and they check them again. Uh, So likely the Democrat who is now ahead by nine unverifiable touchscreen votes will end up being the winner. But who knows when you've only got nine votes and you can't actually count any of them? Check that full story at bradblog.com as that one moves forward and as the uh, the un- uh, undeniable recount. Will uh, certainly take place momentarily. Okay, Desi, we played your theme song. We got to get to the Green News Report. Uh, and Bob Kincaid, uh, anything we need to know before we uh, set up what happened in West Virginia, and then we'll we'll talk with Bob a little bit about it. Uh, what's well, the latest? Well, essentially, it's yeah. that
4: they've lifted the ban in phases, so it's not completely open for most people in West Virginia. About at this point, about 39, maybe 40 percent of folks have their water back, but many are complaining that they still smell that that uh, licorice smell. So they're wondering what is exactly the standard that says that it's safe to drink because nobody seems to really know. That's yeah. the disturbing lack of data on these particular chemicals. We don't have it.
0: Freedom. Let's uh, let's run this Green News report. And then we'll be joined by Bob Kincaid live from West Virginia.
4: Uh, I would like to add my thanks to the citizens of West Virginia for the continued patience during the water crisis. Tap water ban lifted in West Virginia after chemicals fill. But serious questions remain. Solar beats natural gas in Minnesota. Google is moving into your house. Plus, please don't pimp the pine Lands, New Jersey's last wilderness saved from fossil fuels.
0: All of those pimps and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
4: Never realize how much you need water until you don't have water. <laughs> <That's
0: true. laughs> or until all of your water is filled with 4-methylcyclohexane methanol because you refuse to regulate it. Because, you know, freedom. This is your Green News Report. I'm
2: gonna soak up the sun.
0: Okay, Desi Doyen, Speaking of freedom, this just in: Congressional negotiators have reached a budget deal that would block the Obama administration from imposing new light bulb standards that would effectively prohibit the sale of old-style incandescent bulbs. Yes, Republicans are still fighting. For their wasteful incandescent bulbs that, by the way, use 90% of their energy for heat and only 10% for light.
4: Kind of like a Republican.
0: Well played, Desi Doyen.
4: Yeah, they can't wait to overturn the very energy efficiency law they passed during the Bush administration in 2007.
0: Well, speaking of dim bulbs, what other news do you have for us today?
4: Well, tap water is on its way to being safe to use again for residents and businesses in West Virginia, five days after thousands of gallons of a toxic chemical used to process coal spilled into the Elk River, the primary source of drinking water for nearly 300,000 people, forcing a total shutdown of hospitals, schools, and businesses around Charleston. The company that owns the tank farm, Freedom Industries, yes, that's their oh, name, man. did not inform state environment officials or the water company about the spill. That's according to the CEO of the water company, West Virginia American Water, Jeff McIntyre.
5: They did not report this to us and I have no idea of when or if they reported it to anyone else.
4: Luckily, so far, no serious injuries reported from the spill. A federal investigation has begun into how this happened, including why hazardous chemical storage tanks were located on the banks of a major river upstream of an intake pipe that draws water from the river for the entire
0: region. Because liberty, Desi.
4: (laughs) Well, apparently it's much too close to stop or dilute the chemical
0: before it entered and contaminated the whole water system. You keep calling it the chemical. What's the name of that chemical, Desi?
4: You said it earlier. Why don't you say it?
0: 4 methylcyclohexane ethanol? Yes. Was that so hard?
4: Yes. As with the deadly West Texas fertilizer plant explosion, this latest toxic chemical accident has exposed more gaping holes in oversight of hazardous chemicals at both the state and federal levels. Thanks to lobbying by the chemical industry, shockingly little is known about most industrial chemicals. Of the 80,000 chemicals approved for use in the U.S., only about 200 have ever been tested for safety by the EPA.
0: So the chemical lobby fights to keep the government from interfering with their use of chemicals? Yes. And their poor- Poisoning of our drinking water supply, apparently.
4: And anti-coal activists have criticized corporate media reporting on this bill for ignoring the fact that rural West Virginians living in coal mining country live with water contamination every day from coal, and the birth defect rate there is 26% higher than the rest of West Virginia.
0: That's just a coincidence.
4: Moving on. On a head-to-head comparison, solar beats natural gas. That's the conclusion of a federal judge in Minnesota who was tasked with solving a dispute over whether the state should approve a new large-scale solar utility plant or new natural gas. In a cost-benefit analysis, the judge found that solar energy's benefits outweighed the lower price of natural gas over the long term. Meanwhile, Google is moving into your house. I
0: kind of thought they were already there.
4: Yeah, they kind of are, but this is more. They've announced the purchase of a startup company called Nest. They're makers of smart thermostats for energy efficiency, part of the growing tech sector of energy management. Privacy advocates are concerned about what Google will do with all that big data because Nest's smart sensors know when you're home and exactly how much energy you use. Finally, good news for New Jersey's last remaining wilderness. Finally,
0: some good news in this report.
4: Yeah, it's known as the Pinelands. The New Jersey Pinelands Commission, charged with overseeing and protecting New Jersey's last wilderness called the Pinelands, they've defied Republican Governor Chris Christie and denied a permit to build a natural gas pipeline through the middle of the wilderness preserve. For some reason, they don't seem to be worried about retaliation from the governor. Uh-huh. Apparently, he's a little busy right now or something.
0: No, they've defied Governor Chris Christie, I hope they've got good walking shoes out there in the (laughs) Pinelands. They may have trouble getting around the roads. For much more on that and all of the other stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Remember, we've got a new iTunes subscription feed, so please resubscribe over there. And since we've got a new feed, we've got to start our reviews from scratch. So please feel free to leave us a review at iTunes. Find us and like us on the Facebook and follow us on the Twitters 24-7 at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle And this has been your Green News Report. Drink up. All day I face the barren waste without the taste of water, cool, clear water.
5: Moving, Don't you listen to him, He's the devil, a man. And he spreads the burning sand
0: with water. Wow. Wow. West Virginia. Uh, <laughs> what a mess. Since our report, I should note that uh, John Boehner has come out and said, well, we need no uh, we need no more regulations that uh, government regulations are uh, killing jobs. Because he'd rather kill people in West Virginia or some such, uh, it's just unbelievable. He, he thinks that uh, the the problem is they haven't been inspected. That it's Barack Obama's faults. The EPA hasn't inspected. Now we do need more inspections, but I'm not sure if these should be uh, or if these legally are supposed to be federal inspections or state inspections. Uh, we may get some more uh, some more information on that from our friend Bob Kincaid. Uh, Desi Doyen, have we been able to get Bob Kincaid uh, just yet? Do we have Bob? We do have Bob. All right. Bob Kincaid. Great. Our friend uh, Bob Kincaid joins us uh, from, he- from head on radio network.com. Bob Kincaid is, of course, the host of Head on Radio and our, uh, our old friend for many, many years. And whenever anything uh, blows up or gets poisoned or uh, whatever di- disasters may befall West Virginia, we know we can always turn to our good friend Bob Kincaid. Uh, hey, Bob, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad, thanks for having me on. Uh, sure, uh, and by the way, I should note Bob joins us in the middle of his own radio show, so I think we're on, uh, are we on both uh, shows at the same time, Bob? We're, we're simulcasting, Brad. All right, that's what I like to hear. That's America for you. Uh, okay, Bob Kincaid, uh, how are you doing are you thirsty, and how are your, uh, the, the rest of the folks in West Virginia uh, now surviving, now that the water has been turned on, not necessarily safely, but apparently uh, turned back on, and, and officials have said, oh, it's okay to start drinking it?
5: Well, compared to a lot of other people, I'm just fine as frog hair because I'm one of, uh, uh, I'm one of the people who's I'm one county away from the general disaster. Uh, but I was down in Charleston yesterday evening, uh, people who have their water back on are still not comfortable with it. Uh, I, was in a, I was just telling the Horn family here uh, about the fact that I was in a restaurant, and, and one of the individuals there said, we're not serving this stuff to anybody. It doesn't smell right, and it doesn't taste right, and we don't trust it. But then again, under the circumstances, Brad, how could you ever trust this water again?
0: Uh, yeah, because what's happened is, uh, as I understand it, th- there's really no way to clean this up. I mean, they're just sort of watching it float down the river, uh, down the Elk River towards Cincinnati, where officials there are now becoming concerned about this uh, about this chemical, correct? Absolutely.
5: And just to, just to add insult to injury, we were just now discussing the fact that the Charleston Gazette has reported that people uh, who have septic systems instead of public sewers... Mm-hmm in the course of flushing, uh, trying mm-hmm. to flush this stuff out of their lines, are being told simply to dump the water on the ground.
0: That, that's what they're being told by officials or, or, or by the, the chemical company here?
5: Um, no, by the water company and by the yeah. health department.
0: Just dump it. Just get rid of it. Because well, because that's one of the things, the first thing that I thought of when they say stop drinking the water, don't use the water. Even when they turn it on, even if it is supposedly uh, all clear now, and I'm not sure how they know that for sure, but even if it is, people in their houses uh... that water is in their pipes is in their drain or are they telling people to uh... if you do have water to to run it for ten minutes twenty minutes a half an hour before you try to use it
5: yeah that's the that's the whole game uh... Uh, you're supposed to run all of your taps for a certain period of time after which everything will be hunky-dory only it's not
0: only it's not how do we know it's not
5: because people among other things you know i mean social media uh... people are reporting uh... nausea headaches sickness uh, just from the fumes that are being let out in their house as they open, open their lines to try to clear this crap out.
0: As as uh, Desi was trying to uh, get you on the phone there, I had mentioned John Boehner recently, uh, I think it was yesterday, saying, no, hell no, we don't need any new regulations. we got plenty of regulations on the book. The Obama administration just needs to do a better job. They need to uh, do more inspections or some such. Do you have any idea if the tanks in question, A, uh, were supposed to be inspected but weren't, and B, uh, would, is that the job of, of state inspectors or federal inspectors? inspectors or is it anybody's job at all, Bob Kincaid?
5: One would presume it would be some state inspector's job and at at some sort of last line of defense that somebody in the federal system would be interested. But uh, the fact of the matter is uh, we have had such a litany uh, of of, uh, vitriol preached against any sort of regulation in this state for so very long The West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection said, we had no obligation to inspect these things. They had their paperwork filed, and they're just a storage facility. They're not a production production facility with routine emissions, so we didn't have to inspect them. Uh, And uh, phrases like, fell through the cracks, are now finding their way into print.
0: Well, yeah, they, uh, apparently the chemical here seems to have fallen through the cracks in the tank that nobody bothered to inspect, that they did allow, by the way, uh, inspection or no, they allowed them to be built, these storage tanks, on the bank of the river just uh, well, this
5: was, Yeah, Brad, this wasn't even originally what this was for. This is an old Pennzoil Quaker State tank farm that was probably sold at a loss just to get it off Pennzoil's books.
0: They used to store oil in those tanks?
5: not still but yeah that's what had the, been stored
0: yes oh really and, and so they said oh we got these uh, tanks available would you like to store your four methylcyclohexane methanol in these tanks by the river a mile and a half above the uh, the drinking water intake
5: yeah i mean it's just uh, okay so a uh, convicted cocaine dealer says hey i got an idea let's go buy a tank farm and provide chemicals to the coal industry because once once you've said that you want to associate with the coal industry all doors open, uh, red carpets roll out, and life becomes good.
0: You, the 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 cocaine, the convicted cocaine felon you're talking about, is the what is he, the CEO of Freedom Industries? Uh, no, he
5: was the incorporator and business partner of a man named Dennis Farrell. Uh, when they founded the company, uh, he went bankrupt after he got busted for selling something like three quarters of a pound of cocaine. And uh, went through a bankruptcy that lasted about seven, eight years and is not associated with, uh, allegedly not associated with the company any longer. And, it, and the company itself was dissolved on December the 13th, uh, 31st, 2013, and reestablished in the new year, this new year, uh, along uh, in a merger with uh, with several other entities, including a Delaware corporation. And the next thing you know, you wind up with this Gary Southern guy sipping on a an ice-cold bottle of water and talking about how tired he is.
0: And this and that was Freedom Industry. So Freedom Industry itself was only just formed uh, within the past year?
5: Well, it was formed years ago, but it uh-huh. was dissolved and reconstituted.
0: I see. I see uh Desi Doyen tells us, uh, what is this, uh, is just in the Freedom Industries, has been just now been cited for water contamination at a second facility, Desi? Is that uh, – oh, her mic's not on there.
5: Uh, uh, well, I wouldn't be surprised if they are getting the microscope treatment.
4: Yes, yeah, so right now uh, – Sorry to interrupt there uh, 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 Basically uh, AP is reporting That the company responsible, that's Freedom Industries Moved those chemicals to a nearby Plant and that plant has already Just now today been cited for Five safety violations including A backup containment wall that has holes In it.
0: (laughs) Oh nice Well at least now they're paying attention So Bob you mentioned the coal industry And uh, you know saying that All you got to do is mention you're involved with the coal Industry and you get a free pass In West Virginia. I know you have been fighting the industry for years, uh, fighting uh, mountaintop removal out there in West Virginia. Is that what this is all about? And a lot of people need to know that chemical in question was for supposedly washing coal. I didn't realize you could wash coal and, and make it clean, but uh, it, it does that, is, is that what this comes down to, coal and the coal industry in West Virginia, or is this about just uh, you know freedom and lack of regulations and do any goddamn thing you want? Uh, no, when it comes it's to Virginia. Co-
5: it's, coal, it's coal, Brad. Uh, as uh, the West Virginia Coal Association tweeted on Friday, if it's good enough to wash coal, it's good enough to wash me.
0: Th- that's a real tweet?
5: That, well, <laughs> they've since scrubbed it, but yeah, it was a real tweet.
0: Uh, wow. Um, and,
5: and, and I'm, <laughs> but I'm glad you did ask the question you just did, because people need to understand that there's a bright line that runs from Freedom Industries out into our mountaintop removal and and coal extraction communities. This stuff has been used for years around people who were never warned that it was around them, uh, never told that it was being used in proximity to their homes, their schools, their churches, their neighborhoods, their hollers. And what happens is after it's used up, as we can tell from the current crisis, the disaster, there's not much you can do with it. So what they do is when they're done with it, they pump it up the mountain and dump it in a multi-billion-gallon sea of toxic waste, and these things dot the landscape of southern West Virginia, eastern Kentucky, southwest Virginia, that sort of thing. And, and basically, these are, these are places where uh, streams have been buried, an earthen dam, in one case larger than Hoover Dam itself, an earthen dam has been constructed, and, and, and billions of gallons of, of this stuff are just sitting there
0: sitting there waiting to leak, waiting for the dams to break, uh, waiting waiting for that uh, coal ash to pollute the rivers and streams below them, basically. Uh, Basically. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, uh, so now... And
5: and, and remember, there are all these cancer clusters. Uh, There are higher mortality rates, higher heart disease rates, higher cancer rates, higher birth defect rates, higher rates of mental illness and depression... In all of these communities, as compared with Appalachia, large, uh, more largely, and with the population of the United States as a whole.
0: Yeah, which we
5: Gee, me- I wonder why.
0: I wonder why too. Which we mentioned in our uh, in our Green News report there. Well, look at it this way, Bob Kincaid. They're just they're just cutting out the middleman. Why throw, put it all the way up the mountain and wait for it to leak into the river when you can throw it straight into the river? Because you know, freedom, freedom industry. Bob Kincaid of the Head on Radio Network, network headonradionetwork.com. You want to listen to Bob every night when you can, particularly on topics like this. Uh, So great to talk to you, Bob. Let's try to talk sometime when there isn't an ongoing disaster, shall we?
5: That would just be real fun, Brad. Thanks.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Bob. Bob Kincaid, my thanks also to my producer today, Desi Doyen, uh, and uh, our our soundboard operator, and Brian Murphy of Baruch College. Uh, for uh, his conversation about David Wildstein and the Bridgegate scandal. Much more on all of that straight ahead. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel, next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog and at BradBlog.com. I'm Brad Friedman, brother. Good night, America.
3: This is Ed Begley Jr., and you're listening to KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles.